Survivor jersey. Why don't you take it away? Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Goal Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ira Jersey, and that voice you heard was Jason, who's going to be on hiatus for a couple of weeks. So, Jason, I don't number miss one, me too much. I'm gonna. I always miss you, man. <laughs> I especially miss your spicy takes. So, what jersey are you wearing tonight? Uh, so, I'm gonna see if I can pull this in because this is uh, an exclusive. Can you read that? So, yeah, we can. I can see it. I have no idea how to, how to pronounce it. I'm not even gonna try. Yeah, Sardinia. Uh, they are. I think they are in Serie B this year now, uh, and it's just a, a fly jersey, you know. So nice, yeah. Another one for your collection. Of so, uh, so a couple of things going on. So Monday we dropped some interviews that I did last week with uh, Greenville Triumph, a couple of their players, Tyler Polak, as well as Jake Keegan, who oh, right. we can, we'll talk about more than once today for sure, and uh, also uh, their coach and U.S. Men's National Team legend John Hark. So, oh. you know, please take a listen to that in your in our feed. All I'm saying is, you interview Tyler Polak, Player of the Week. You interview Jake Keegan, two goals. You interview Harks. Greenville put four on North Texas, who I don't think anyone's done this season. You you might be the the spark. We're talking about <laughs> signing a player for Greenville. They just might need you to interview him every week. It's the League One fun bump, I think, <laughs> is what's going on here. So <laughs> so anyway, just you know, so maybe we should just do a little bit of news. So number one, the league is having meetings. USL is uh, both Championship and League One are having meetings down at the All Star Game. Uh, presumably, there'll be some news coming out of that tonight. Expansion presumably will also be on the. Uh, uh, on the agenda as well. Jason, have you heard anything coming out of these meetings yet? I have not. I've been in my own uh, 50,000 meetings from my nine to five. So unfortunately, I haven't called up. I did get to see some pictures of Landon Donovan was in the USL headquarters, I think, earlier this week. And so you've got a bunch of different USL teams, MLS teams, um, you know, all over. And so it's great to see that. It's great to see with, you know, uh, USL San Diego coming in, that Donovan's involved and talking about, you know, his goals and, you know, depending on how this expansion works and what goes on between, you know, pro possible pro rail, you know, Donovan might have to, uh, squeeze into uh league one one day so <laughs> maybe he'll even uh don a jersey and be a player manager for a little while listen you know. he's come out of retirement like four times so i don't <laughs> i don't see the issue that's right uh so the rochester rhinos actually uh tweeted for the first time in a while um, did, you know, did they? <laughs> it was a little bit of a tweet um yeah. you know they, there's no what, what i was able to find out through sources uh was that you know they, they don't have a lot of of definitive plans, but they are, you know, working toward it. It's a little bit unclear um, at this point if they'll be in operation for 2020 or 2021. But um, it's, uh, but, but they, they do still exist, and they, they do look at some point to be coming back. Um, the, the question I, I think is one of timing and when there might be some announcements and, and some definitive, um, some definitive items on their end. You, you know, we're getting a little bit close here for a lot of expansion teams because, and, and Rochester in many ways will be an expansion team because it wind up being in a new facility. And, uh, but you have to start thinking about coaches, right? It's not too far in the not too distant future. You're going to have to start thinking about how you're going to build your roster. Yeah. If you're going to start in January, you know, we're approaching August and, and, uh, you know, even though the the season, the current season is still going on, if you're an expansion side, you have to at least be picking coaches and stuff. I mean, just like Omaha has. Yep. Yeah, and Omaha's 
done a great job of setting themselves up. So I'm excited to see what they do in the off season. And yeah, maybe they're waiting for, uh, you know, how this season kind of ends and seeing if maybe they can get some guys from teams, you know, that have already played a year and kind of have this league experience so they can come on board and share it with, you know, the try you know, trialist and whoever that they pick up from other leagues. Yeah. I suppose you'd also want to see who maybe doesn't get re-signed who might be like a value signing. Like if someone has an option that's not renewed, uh, maybe they didn't play a lot. Maybe they're, you know, the 13th man on a roster or something like that. And they might want more playing time to be a starter. So yeah, th- there's a lot of things to do, but, but you have to get the infrastructure in there first. Right. So, and that's, yeah. that, that's kind of what we're waiting to hear from some of these uh, potential new teams. And any, uh, any Omaha, yeah. Omaha fans that listen, send in who you want, to be your your star player if you can have one star signing a realistic one i'm not trying to hear uh messi's come in the chat and i'm going to qualify yeah that. <laughs> please please uh, a realistic one uh because you look at players like jack mack who you know they're signing in leagues with teams i wouldn't imagined and so you know that's a possibility you know it'd be great to see players like that so let us know who you think uh is on the top of your list uh, yeah, hope to talk to some folks from uh, Omaha actually in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, the roster freeze date's coming up. September 6th is the roster freeze date, six weeks away. Um, so a couple of signings that happened before that. So one of them we're going to talk about more, but uh, Shinya uh, Komodo, uh, he is uh, signed for uh, South Georgia. He went on, uh, is on loan at South Georgia Tormenta from Loudoun United. Um, also a couple more rumors. One is that Ford might be signing a new player um, or, or two in, in the uh, in the not too distant future. And, you know, John Harks in our interview, he sounded, made it sound like to me, you know, nothing confirmed, but made it sound like to me that they might be looking at someone just to bring in, you know, maybe one more little piece to, uh, to maybe get Greenville over the hump. So very exciting here as the roster freeze day comes, um, you, you know, as we think about the roster, uh, you know, Jason, is there, kind of one team that you think really needs that, you know, one piece? I mean, every team obviously could improve a little bit, but is there one team that you think kind of needs someone in order to really make a playoff push? Yeah, so out outside of obviously we talked about Greenville kind of needing someone up there in partnership with uh, Keegan. I think one thing that's really interesting with Chattanooga is their central defensive midfielder position, right? Because like today, and we'll talk about it, uh, Pineda was getting torched by Rafa and Toomey when he played central defensive midfielder, and he's more of an offensive threat than he is defensively, whereas Uefi, who used to play in that role more often, he's more up on the field now working the wings because of his productivity. So I think if Chattanooga can bring in somebody who's more defensive-oriented in that position and you're able to get Pineda and Uefi both up, uh, further up the field, then that's something that they can really beneficial uh, benefit from because today Lansing just put an all-out attack on them and they couldn't do anything. It was just tackle, yellow card to try to slow down anything. Um, and I think in the long run, they're going to need that uh, to make a playoff push. Uh the kickers apparently are hosting open tryouts August 16th to 18th. Um, you know, you know, you think the, the kickers are one of the teams that, you know, after a couple of wins the last couple of weeks might be, you know, ready to make a push for the playoffs themselves. You, uh, you know, do you, do you think that, you know, have f- trying to find someone through these open tryouts is a way to go or, you know, did you need to splash some cash in order to, you know, make that, make that final? Yeah. Play? I don't, I don't know if this is their, their way of, you know, trying to make the final push for the playoffs, but it's definitely an indication that 
I like that Richmond is still always keeping it in the community, always keeping it open. Uh, you have kids who graduated, you know, this summer. And so maybe they have a chance now in their off season to go and try out for the team. Um, and so I like that teams, especially specifically Richmond in this case, are doing that. And it's not just one of those things as well. We're in the middle of the season, so we need to focus specifically on what's going on. No, it's like always keeping that opportunity available to you for you to find a Nick Moon, you know, um, and to find players who you wouldn't expect to come on and make a, a impact right away. Yeah, in a way, it's it's way it's interesting timing because if they continue to um, you know look for players now who say just graduated or maybe they got caught from a team in another country like in Denmark or or someone else, you might be able to find that diamond in the rough um, for for sure. So I think it's an interesting timing because the PDL, excuse me, USL League Two and the NPSL season just ended. So anyone who was a senior, you know, if if they're not signed a pro contract unless they have a job, um, you know, they're available to play soccer, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit, Jason, about uh, about some attendance uh, numbers this week? Yeah. Listen, um, you got to give credit where credit's due and shout out to Ford Madison. You know, those fans are packing it out, selling it out. Uh, their attendance last weekend uh, had more uh, attendance than all the other League One games combined and had fit, uh, more attendance than 15 of the USL championship games. So as they're about to enter a home stretch where they're playing five of their next six games at home and they just get into playoff position today in their fourth spot, that that might be that what puts them over the top, right? They seem to be in form. And everyone talks about, even North Texas, right, when they won the Ford and when they won the Madison and played, they, all they could talk about was the crowd and how much it impacted the game. I think Madison has that whole city behind them. And because of that, that's probably the team that you don't want to play, you know, in the near future and especially the playoffs that they get in. Um, and so right now you have a lot of people who were looking at Madison, you know, including myself, even four or five weeks ago that said, well, I don't know if they're going to be able to turn it around the way they need to. Uh, but they've bef- definitely been doing it. And I think them getting those home games and them having that kind of atmosphere and that crowd has really helped. Uh, so shout out to the flock, all the supporters groups out there and shout out to the the residents of Madison who are really getting behind the team. Yeah, I think, I think it's great. I mean, everyone's talking about the atmosphere there for sure. Um, so follow Mike Pendleton on Twitter if you want to get attendance figures because he does a really nice breakout of both USL Championship and USL League One attendance every week on uh, on Twitter. On points per game, by the way, we can go go through that, but uh, but Madison is in fourth place even on points per game, but just barely. I mean, there's still basically five teams that are uh, in a virtual tie for, uh, for for that fourth playoff place at the moment. Yep. All right, moving on to results. So Friday <laughs> afternoon at 4 p.m. on the Prime time field at, at, <laughs> at BMO, the BMO training facility up in Toronto. It was Toronto FC2 scored one goal against the Richmond Kickers who were able to score two. Akira Fitzgerald was serving his suspension. So Joe Rice, the goalie who played for Lionsbridge last year, made his first professional start. Um, TFC was without Jordan Peruza. I think that really showed in this game. Um, you know, Jason, why don't we before we go through the goals, what were your general impressions about this game? Yeah, so first and foremost, I was shocked to see Toronto not go after Rice. Uh, so Rice had a great game, especially in the second half. But Toronto, you know, when you have a keeper making his first 
you know, professional game debut, you should be shooting at him. And I think Toronto only had three shots in the first half. Uh, and so, and then, yeah, they only had three shots in the first half and then they had three shots in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And that's when they really stepped it up. And obviously because they were down by that time, but yeah, I was really surprised that they didn't go after rice the way I thought they would. Um, and it wasn't like they weren't that they weren't aggressive. I think that they came out aggressive. Uh, but I think it's also a testament to how after the first 30 minutes, um, you know, Richmond really started getting it together. That first 30 minutes, Richmond didn't really seem cohesive. They were offside three times in the first 20 minutes. They didn't have a key pass until the 30th minute mark. Um, and I think uh, Serbly, who had a great game. Um, and yeah, I'm pronouncing it Serbly because that's that's what the announcer pronounces it. So even though it's wrong, I'm just going to repeat it because that's what's in my head. Um, I think they did a great job early. Okello, I think, did a great job too. And we'll talk about the goals uh, but yeah, like I, Scotty Thompson, uh, you know, and um, Hughes, um, I think uh, they had they came through and they had a uh, a really good game and really kind of turned around the possession and the attack. And I think the difference between Richmond in this game and other games is Richmond consistently attacked for the whole game. So even if there were breaks to where they didn't have a shot on goal for ten minutes, the next ten minutes after that they would have three shots on goal. They were able to slow down the game by drawing fouls. Um, yeah, I thought Richmond looked really good in this game. Yeah, I, I think too, you know, they didn't have the kind of possession that they they had before because I think they didn't want to be passing it in the back, right? So a lot of the games early on, I think that there was uh, – Richmond had a lot of possession, but it ended up being in their half of the field. So it seemed like to me the goal was to get the goal into the other half, and if you're going to possess – possess in the offensive half instead. So I really like that kind of game management. You know, this is something our friends at River City 93 mentioned as well, is the fact that, you know, I wouldn't say that they played direct, but they kind of played fast buildup and then possessed in in kind of the right places. But but you're right, Joe Rice, he had five saves on the night plus a catch. Uh, You know, he... uh, the a lot of the shots that he a couple of the shots that he did save quite frankly were were dribblers and not ones that he was going to do but he did have he did come up really big to save two points for Richmond late in the game with a really nice save that uh, uh, he had a tip around the the, the left hand side in order to uh, in order to preserve the uh, the the three points uh, so going into the going into the goals in nineteenth minute Serbly. Uh, scored from Akello. It was some nice buildup play by TFC. You know, one of the things that TFC likes to do, uh, Jason, I don't know if you, you saw this because they did it tonight as well, is they basically try to possess three, four, five times in the midfield and then try and spring someone, right? So, and then, and that's the, something that uh, happened in this game as well. So they had, they kept the ball uh, nicely on one side of the field. Then they swung the ball to the left-hand side where Do- Dorsey just hit a great through ball to Petrasso who was on the run. And he was wide open. Like, I don't know where um, the defenders were. I think Scotty Thompson was covering kind of the middle. He was uh, yep. trying to cover Okello, but then when the ball goes out to Petrasso, then Thompson has to shift, right? Because if he doesn't, then Petrasso is one-on-one with the keeper. So right. so Scotty Thompson shifts, but then no one picks up Okello. And yep. because of that, uh, you know, he Petrasso is able to chip the ball over to Okello, who, uh, who, who finishes, uh, ch- chips the ball to the far post and Serbley's there uh, to knock it home with without really too much pressure on yeah, him. Yeah, and um, Okello gets past yeah, he gets past Lockerbie, and Shinovsky's at this kind of, 
uh, crossroads where he doesn't know if he should close in on Okello or he, if he should go towards the near post to make sure that no one's going to make that run. But once Okello gets the ball and he's in the box and he has all that space, I would have liked to see Shinoski close on that space because he gave Okello way too much time, stayed at the post, and instead Okello was able to have a nice chip because he had no kind of pressure and had all the time in the world. Um, and so I think when we look at Richmond, uh, I, I like their defense, but I think their transition defense still needs work, and that's an example of the decision-making work that they need. Yeah, I wonder if if Akira Fitzgerald was in there, if maybe they would have been a little bit more organized. In, that's in a good this, point. In, in this point. situation, right, where, you know, because the advantage of being a goalie is that you can direct traffic, right? And if, if Rice just wasn't used to directing traffic and saying, you know, uh, you know, Chinoski, you know, le- turn left, right? Go- just, you know, step left to two steps, then that, that might have helped quite a lot. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in the past, Richmond would get into these positions where they would get their heads down and they, you know, it would be hard for them to come back. But in the 35th minute, uh, they were able to get an own goal. Uh, there was a foul on the right-hand side of the pitch and Scotty Thompson makes his only touch on the right <laughs> side of the pitch on the night, by the way, if you look at the touch map for him. And he takes the foot with his left. He was clearly trying to hit it back post. He was looking for um, – I don't, I don't remember who he was looking for. I think he might have been looking for uh, Akwe maybe. And, uh, but he, he hits the ball in, and then, you know, the, the goalie, uh, Klanowski, is that yeah, how you it, 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 yep. it hurts to watch. It hurts yeah. to watch that. So the ball goes through – basically through his hands. Yeah. and. He, uh, you know, he had it in his hands. I don't think he was bumped, and if he was, it was definitely incidental. No, he, he wasn't bumped at all. He, yeah. uh, as a keeper, I, I, I think Akwe at the end, uh, after he had already dropped it, kind of got into his face. And Akwe, like credit to Akwe for making the run to creating that pressure anyway. Uh, but yeah, he just simply dropped that ball. Yeah. Uh, I only- actually think this goal should have been credited to Scotty Thompson because it was on frame. It was just a- well, we'll talk about that because <laughs> we'll talk about Richmond's next goal. Uh, Cause Joey got an assist and I don't think that Joey did. Yeah, yeah, he did not get an assist at all. Yeah. I, I, yeah, for sure. Um, so, so anyway, so I think that was that was strange scoring from whoever uh, whoever scored this game. Yeah, uh, but, it, but it, and it's also it's what Richmond kind of needed, right? Because yeah. Toronto, like I said in the first twenty minutes, dominated. Richmond kind of just didn't have that cohesiveness. Was offside a lot, um, and then in that thirty minutes, they had back to back shots. Uh, in the 30th minute and the 31st minute. And so that kind of turned around their momentum. And then Akwe drew that foul, leading to the free kick. And then all it takes is a goalkeeper blunder. And I don't know what's going on with Toronto's keeper situation because he's only played two games uh, this year. And then the keeper they played today has only played two games this year. So I don't I don't know what Toronto's doing. But we'll talk about their rotation later on because I think that – that might be what messes them up in this playoff race. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I want to talk about that as well because when you you know you don't have some of those pieces, I think Toronto, uh, particularly in that quick transition and pressing that they like to do. So without Endo and um, uh, why do we always forget his name? Schaffelberg. Um, yeah. yeah. Without those two there, you know, Serbly's good, but I don't think he can do it all by himself. And I think that's part of the part of the issue. They need. They do need one more piece in the midfield for sure, at least. Uh, but the th- third goal comes out from from a very nice run of play, actually, right after halftime. In the 48th minute, uh, Joe Hughes gets a goal. Um, so Richmond was attacking again, and basically Mwape was – 
he was all over the place in this particular play. I think he must have beat five players on the run, <laughs> but and then, then makes a nice cross Prop right Thompson in. with the through ball to him though. Yeah. So he did the Thompson did set him up to where he like when you are able to receive a ball in stride, it makes a world of a difference. And so that's exactly what happened. And yeah, Mwape just in stride had footwork. Um and then passes it to Joey G, who uh, gets hit from the work. back from Muhammad, who I was shocked. Um, hasn't had the greatest of the last two games, but we'll get more into that later. Yeah, particularly the today's game for sure. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they, they, they step up. Joe Gallardo steps up for the um, for to take a penalty, and he it's saved. It's actually not a great penalty. It was an okay save, um, but it wasn't a great penalty. But Hughes is right there, and then Hughes buries the rebound um Gallardo should not have been credited yeah I, don't, I looked at the box score and saw an assist and I was like oh is that is that what we get rewarded for I mean, okay I mean someone really needs to go back even if you just look at the highlights and just make sure that the scoring is correct it would be good because yeah. you know Scotty Thompson should have been credited with a goal I think and Joe Gallardo as much as you know he helped create this goal in a, in a number of ways you know he didn't deserve the assist yeah. on, on that one so a couple of interesting things the uh, Richmond kickers must have watched some tape on how TFC was using the offside trap because they were only offside five times in this game, which is almost unheard of up in BMO. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and I, I think, think uh, it's, I think it's the lowest of, lowest of the year, I think. And Toronto themselves were offside two or three times. So once that Price, happened, yeah. yeah, you should have known like that. That's the end of that. They're cursed. They're <laughs> not going to win this game. <laughs> So also also interesting statistics in this one. And, you know, we, we know that a lot of statistics don't matter that much. But uh, Toronto had six corners and Richmond had none. I, w- I was, I, you know, I w- when I watched this game, I didn't even think about them not having any corners. Because I think they had a lot of other free kicks. So I think yeah. they had a lot of other set-piece opportunities yeah, that were. And uh, Hughes drew a lot of fouls for and yeah. a lot of free kicks. And that's something, I, that's something we haven't talked about. We got to talk about Hughes. Uh, yeah. I actually call him huge because that's he he played <laughs> out of, huge for sure. Yeah, he played out. Of, he played. Uh, you know, had the goal, had two created chances, but he was all over the field and was so important for Richmond because of that. Like I said, drawing those fouls, eleven interceptions to so to just stop Toronto from really that build up and transition that they do so well, and then six clearances for him getting back there and clearing the ball when Toronto did get the transition going. So, you know, man of the match for me, I thought he was outstanding. Yes. So I think Hughes did really well also. I, I think, you know, again, I'm going to give some props to Scotty Thompson because, you know, he he did have that those couple of plays that you noted, so a couple of key passes. But he had, believe it or not, only seven touches in the offensive half. And I think one of the reasons why – TFC had a problem attacking, particularly down their right side, was that Scotty Thompson stayed home. And with the exception of the goal itself, I think he did a really great job uh, organizing that back line and making sure that the there wasn't a lot of space. The, the other thing that I'd, I'd note is that, you know, is is that without without Perusa on the field, I felt like TFC had a little bit of a problem with with a lot of holdup play. Like Akinola does a lot of good things, but I think Perusa just does them better. And uh, you know, we'll, so that's yeah. We'll talk about that later because even though you know you said Perusa, they were without him. He did sub in. I think the last five minutes, so they were pretty much without him. Uh, yeah. Well, he didn't. He didn't play most of the game. Right. He? Exactly. He yeah. He barely played, and so we'll talk about that because I think today it was an even bigger impact for their game, and I that's why. 
I, I don't know what Toronto is doing from a coaching and front office perspective. I don't know if it's just because they look more at trying to get the building these players and, but uh, it's not working for them when you have, you're probably your second best, if not your best player on the team coming off the bench with five minutes left in the game um, and probably the third best, second best striker in the league. Yeah. Maybe he's nursing an injury. I mean, it's, it's hard to know, you know, we don't yeah. get enough, we don't get enough information out of TFC to, to make it interesting. At least like North Texas gives us more information about what's going on in, as far as injuries. So anything else on the, on this particular match? No, uh, good job for Richmond. They, you know, the game that they needed to turn it around. Um, it's one to win a game one Oh, but to go down early and then come back and score two goals. Uh, it's a big on the road. It's a big win for them. Yeah, and obviously they, they believe it or not, it, they're not quite, I wouldn't say, in playoff contention, but if they win a couple more, particularly against teams that are above them, they could be a you know, they could squeak in there if they really get a, a run of form over well, the next couple of games. But but they are everybody's above them. So <laughs> well, well, not OCB, right. But 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 my point is is they not North Texas stuff. So they're off this week too. So that they'll have time to rest, they'll have time to see tape on on their next couple of opponents. And um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, this this is really turning out to be a very fun season to see who uh who gets above the line. Yep. Okay, so the next match was unprecedented. North Texas 0, Greenville Triumph 4. They found the, the secret. They, they figured out how to beat North Texas. Yeah, so, so the, all the goals uh, uh, occurred in the second half. And so even, even before something that happened in the 20th minute, let me just say that uh, that Greenville was pressing. Uh, I think North Texas wasn't really expecting the kind of energy and pressure that Greenville uh, put on them. And really North Texas did not look like they were in their comfort zone at all. And I think that was because of the way Greenville was, uh, what was pressing North Texas. So uh, now admittedly, North Texas did not have as starters, Ronaldo Damas, Tessman or David Rodriguez. So David Rodriguez and Tessman were on the bench. Um, they they factor in later, but at the end of the day, I think having not having those three on the field is similar to what's been going on with TFC. Right when you don't have three key players on the field, it it does make a big difference. Um, but in the twentieth minute, you had the kind of the, the match changing event. Edwin Cirillo got a red card for a serious foul. It was a high boot right into Hemming's face. Um, you know, it was it was bad. I mean, I think it was a deserved red card and the right call. Jason, I'm shocked, I'm shocked we haven't seen more of it. You know, and kids making bad decisions like that um, for the for North Texas. You know, in the majority of the league, we haven't seen a lot of that when you know these 16, 17 year olds have been playing. So, uh, yeah, it was bound to happen. Um, and it, it's also and, where it, it happened too, because it happened basically yeah. on the touchline at midfield. Yeah. It wasn't like it had to be done. I mean, just stay on your feet and, and contain, right? I mean, I, I teach my my nine-year-olds that. So. And I, I'm going to be – you know what? In a sense, it's good that this happened in North Texas. I think with them, they've been dominating. They've been at the top of the table all year, and they haven't really had to have those experiences to playing down a man for almost the whole game and, and having your starters in there. And so – this is valuable stuff for them to go through going into the playoffs. So obviously you don't want to get thrashed 4-0 at home. Uh, but if this is the experience you need so that it happens now and you know how to react to it if it happens again, uh, especially in a more important game in the playoffs, then that is uh, the experience that they need. 
but yeah, it was just uh, it was an easy red card, easy call, and it wasn't necessary. Yeah. So they uh, they did a decent job after that because they were able to what well. While Greenville had a lot of chances, they weren't very high quality chances. I would say, um, at, at least you know there were a couple, but but they most of them were not that high. Three, three shots, not on goal for Greenville in the first half, and meanwhile, North Texas is playing down a man. They had four shots and two two on goal in the first half, so yeah. it wasn't like they went down and it immediately became Greenville's game. You didn't start seeing Greenville really get into a groove until the second half, and that was mostly because of the player of the week. Tyler Poland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, uh, so North Texas did look like they were starting to get gassed a little bit come the 55th, 60th minute. Uh, and, uh, you know, Tyler Pollock, he started with, uh, he started on the left touchline and cuts inside with the ball, but he's given a fair bit of space. North Texas definitely seemed tired at this point and they were happy just to contain and kind of try to bunker around the penalty area and maybe, you know, go for a nil, nil draw. Uh, but there was a one V two situation that Tyler found himself in. He passed the ball back to Walker who is right at the top of the D and just fires one low into the bottom left corner and the floodgates floodgates mm-hmm. are open. Yeah. Tyler was the game changer. He got left a lot of space. I don't know if it was because of them being down a man, but he found himself one-on-one in a ton of space and he's a workhorse. So you don't want to give him space one-on-one and he was taking it. Uh, that second goal where he looked up, saw Keegan on the through pass, and just had an like a, a amazing 30, 35-yard through ball to Keegan, and then props to Keegan for finishing it. Those are the types of finishes he needs to have for Greenville to make the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, Pollock, player. You're talking about the second goal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, like, shout out to Pollock, player of the week. Uh, definitely was the game changer and had it not late. And that's what you need just because you're up a man. Like we said, you know, Greenville wasn't just all of a sudden all, you know, on gears and their offense was just, you know, making North Texas scared. It, it took one person to change that game and it took one, you know, event for that to kind of really them go, okay, let's get it. We're in the groove now. We got this. We're pressure off of us. Let's go ahead and play our game. And, you know, Tyler was the guy that made that happen. Yeah, I think that was something that happened in the second goal. And, and these goals were only about two and a half minutes apart was that North Texas after the goal actually started to play a little bit higher just because they said, okay, well now we have to get one in order to get anything out of this match. And, you know, it is a home game. You don't want to drop, you know, if you're going to drop points, you don't want to drop all three, especially at home. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why Jake Egan was given basically enough space in behind. So he did run. There was a, there was a, uh, an offside shout and I, you know, again, play to the whistle for firstly but secondly i don't i think he was on side because the way he was making the diagonal run the ball traveled so far that keegan was probably able to take 10 steps by the time the ball actually got to him so um so he might have been he was i'm pretty sure he was on an onside position when the ball was played and i think that was a good call by the uh, by, by the official uh and jake gets a second in the 70th minute and uh so hemmings has the ball out wide and he was able to beat his defender and cross the ball into the far post. Um, Edmundo Robinson heads the ball back across goal. This is an interesting goal. Watch the highlight of this one, because then what happens is the ball falls to Montgomery. He has it, tries to clear it, but as he kicks it, and they kicked it pretty hard, it hits the back of Gomez's leg and it falls to Keegan right at kind of the, the right near the penalty spot. And Keegan buries it from about seven yards out. And, you know, 
So now Keegan has seven goals. There's a four-way tie for the Golden Boot race at this point. I haven't looked at it after tonight's um, tonight's events, but I, I think that's probably still the case. And uh, you know, Keegan gets a second. He gets gets the brace. Yeah, and props too. I think it's Xavier. I mean, not Xavier. I think it's a uh, Gomez. Carlos, Carlos Gomez. Carlos Gomez. Uh, the one that was putting the pressure on Montgomery with that because you can see Montgomery's trying to make space so that he can get this ball and clear it out and Gomez is putting pressure on him putting pressure on him so then when Montgomery turns around to try to clear it I think it, it hits Gomez and it then falls right yeah. to Jake so Go- Gomez is given an, an assist for it hitting off his calf again don't don't know what's going on if we're giving everybody to assist you know let let me get let me get on the stat sheet so i can go yeah. ahead and throw that on my resume so he, he was at least he did was at least the last player to touch the ball before it went in so um so anyway in the uh in the 88th minute uh there was a uh there was a penalty uh kick and um so edmundo robinson uh takes that kick you know he he was involved with the with the third goal like i just mentioned heading the ball back across the net uh in order to create uh, that dangerous chance so robinson takes it um so it happens that jake keegan did not take it i thought maybe being on a hat trick and you know being a little bit informed that maybe they give jake keegan the uh the, the take so so one of the questions that i asked a member of the team was do, does Greenville have a set penalty taker or is it the player who draws the penalty because Robinson drew the penalty is does is it like his choice does he get to take it um, so I, the what I was told is that they basically decided that hey we want more people to score we want more people to have confidence so that's one reason why Edmundo Robinson uh, uh, took this penalty okay and then uh, we'll talk about that Lansing game but uh, they had a similar situation where they drew a penalty and, it, you know, they don't have Coach Miller on the sideline who's serving suspension and they had to decide who's going to take it. And Pato, who, you know, was a cl- is a clinical PK finisher, I thought would take it, ends up being N4. And, yeah, it turns out to be a difference between a point and three points. Um, so it's interesting to see around the league, you know, what the teams are doing. I personally think if you have – a forward who is a clinical PK taker or someone doesn't even have to be a forward and be a midfielder who is just great at PKs. And that's what they do. Then it's, there's no politics behind it. You know, he's going to be the guy. That's how that works. Once you start letting players aside, once you start kind of spreading it out, you put yourselves and in that situation, Greenville's up three Oh towards the end of the game. It doesn't matter, but you know, a lot of politics can get involved in that and that can uh, change the way that some players are, you know, approaching their PKs. In every competitive team I've ever played on, whether it was, you know, travel, high school, college, um, we've always had a a PK contest like after practice one day and, you know, whoever finished more out of five basically, you know, took it. And we always had, you know, one, two, three, here's our first taker. If you're not on the pitch, then it's this other person. So, so it is interesting to see these different ways that that as, as a keeper, I've had those and I've definitely tried harder on the kids I didn't like. Because uh, I didn't want them to be the designated PK. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, uh, so Roberts did start this game for North Texas over David Robinson. David Robinson came off the bench. Um, you know, Jason, do you think had you know some of these guys started like Tessman and David uh, David Rodriguez, if that would have made a difference earlier in this game, and even after the red card? Yeah, and even you know, you look at Coleman coming on for Sealy. Sealy, who I like, just wasn't doing much and I would have liked to see Coleman come on uh sooner and yeah I I think this is the first time though that we're really seeing 
nor Texas kind of make those decisions as to where they're not starting their usual starters. I don't know if it's just they didn't take Greenville seriously or if it was just, you know, like, you know, to game management. Um, but yeah, I don't like this whole two team rotation thing that's going on between them and Toronto right now. And if this is a sign of what's going to, what's going to look like if we get these MLS two teams in the league, I'm not happy about it. Um, I want the best team to be on the field unless it is game management, you know, or it's a coach's decision to, to play because of tactics. Uh, I don't like this whole constant rotation. Um, we talk about with Orlando, that's their major problem as to why we, they don't really have an identity. They don't have a finisher. Um, yeah. So as it looks like it's growing across all two teams and I'm not a fan. I mean, TFC two may have done it because they played midweek as well. So that could have been minute management, but that's not the excuse for North Texas. So. Right. Okay. So moving on to the next match of the night, which was, I believe Saturday, uh, it was Chattanooga Red Wolves one FC Tucson one. Um, the first goal happened in the 58th second. So I believe that's the second fastest goal in league one history. Bob Quiz, who got the first, what team? Oh, God. It was forward Madison and yes. it was shoot. Was it JC Banks? I, I don't know. I thought it was Paulo Jr. It might have been Paulo Jr. Yeah. yeah. It, so um, it was one of those two. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, they've scored almost all the goals for that team. So, um, but yes, yeah, so it was definitely forward Madison. It was definitely really exciting. It was like in the 20, it was but, Paulo Jr. But, in fact, in like yeah. the 26th second. Yeah. But who scored the goal, Ira? Who scored the goal? Someone that has been interviewed on League One Fun, Kyle Ventner, Venter. He, uh, this was his fourth of the season. He's actually on the list for the top 10 goal scorers in the league. Um, so this was his second one with his right foot. He now has two with his right, one with his left, and one with his head, um, in case you need some trivia conversation about League One. Um, so anyway, the, the, you know, this was a corner taken by David Vega. It was a uh, – the, the, the ball actually was headed back by Jordan Jones, hits the bar, and it just falls to the six where Kyle Venter is just waiting for it. And he but finished it's, it's, it's not just an easy one at his feet. It actually no, bounced no. up. And he has to – he brings that right foot up higher than I think I brought up my right foot in about seven years. So <laughs> – uh, you know, props the props the Venter the the prob the him and Connor Antley, def, uh, you know, showing that defenders can can score too and score in many different ways. I'm pretty sure all three of his goals with his feet were all volleys. So yeah, I was gonna say I I think he's always had that that ball bouncing. Maybe that's what he likes. Maybe maybe well, just go, setting go it back up. go if you, go back and listen to those interviews if if you're you're listening because one of the things that he says is he likes to go up and practice shooting. So that's one of the things that he and I talked about. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a really fascinating interview, great, great guy. And, uh, you know, really, really a pleasure to watch him, uh, especially when he's scoring goals like that. But, uh, in the second half, you know, it, th- this game was, it looked like it was going to be Chattanooga's quite frankly. And it just took Chattanooga a long time to get dangerous chances. So they, they wind up having, uh, only eight shots on goal, but they had a lot more chances that were stopped by, you know, by Kyle and the rest of the back line for of, of Tucson. Uh, but finally in the 69th minute, Eamon Zayed uh, got the uh, scored from Stephen Beatty. Uh, do you want to talk us through this goal a little bit, Jason? I, before that, I want to talk about Tucson because even though Chattanooga, you're saying you thought that this was their game, I thought if Tucson had put up another goal in that first half, that it was going to be out of reach for Chattanooga. 
And I thought that Tucson came out, they were super aggressive. They were pressing, they were causing mistakes. Um, you know, they had a get uh, Chattanooga had two giveaways in the first eight minutes and Tucson had four shots in those first eight minutes. And I thought, especially after that venture goal, I was like, "Uh Oh, this might be a three Oh game by halftime. And, Teams consistently let Chattanooga stick around, and then Chattanooga always comes down that second half, slows the game down, has more of the possessions, and then they take advantage of their chances, and that's what happened in that goal. So so after those four shots, actually, uh, Tucson only had two more after that, and they only yep. had one on target, right? So I think – and that was the goal, right? That was their problem. They they just weren't clinical. They didn't get those, those dangerous chances. So there were only – in this entire game, there were only 388 passes, which for a single team, that would seem – like normal, normal, yeah. <laughs> but for the, these teams, no one wanted the ball. I mean, there was a lot of possession in that there were people carrying the ball without any pressure on them, right? So the the ball, you know, stayed stagnant parts of the time. The other thing is, I had a problem rewatching this game because it it does not appear on ESPN Plus. So it did for me, but what happened on ESPN Plus for me is that there's a good 10, 15 minutes of the game that's just not there. It's a technical difficulty. So maybe when you went to go look for it, they were still fixing still technical fi- Figuring out, yeah, but yeah. perhaps. So, um, so I really don't know exactly what happened in the goal, but but you saw it live, right? When you watched it, you no, watched I didn't. It. Oh, so okay, that, yeah. So I didn't get to see so, it. Live. So I'll, t- I'll tell you the, the apparently the ball came in from a corner from BD, and Zayed finished it uh, from the right side of the six into the bottom right corner of the goal. That's that's what we know about it from... from I mean, listen, if you were to write fan fiction of what you think a uh, Chattanooga goal looks like, it's probably going to be BD and Zaid involved. Maybe Zaguro. That's, that's usually yeah, that. That's either Zaguro to BD or BD yep. to, to Zayed. One yep, of those. and Pineda somehow set it all up. That's pretty much how their offense works. <laughs> Yeah, which you know that could take them far, but at the same time, you know one of those guys gets gets injured and can't play for a while. He gets injured and it's over. And uh, and they're also and we'll talk about it with today's game. uh, When when teams are shutting BD down, uh, they're struggling to find somebody to really kind of take over that game and bring them that offensive power that they need. Uh, I think Seguro in this game against Tucson did well. He had two chances created, uh, three accurate long balls. Um, and as well as, you know, defensive work with two interceptions and eight recoveries. But he's kind of that starter, right? Like he has those long crosses. And who do you think they're going to? They're going to Beatty, who's on the wing, who then either takes it in the box and shoots himself or is crossing it into Zaid or Sione or whoever is in the box. Right. Anything else on this particular match? Yes. I wanted to shout out um, he's a player that's starting to get some time, Jaime's, uh, number 21. And fancy footwork, uh, definitely someone that's a spark that I like watching. And uh, his past two games, he's been fun to uh, watch. So shout out to him. Well, uh, hopefully we'll see more of them this weekend because I think they're yeah. back in action. Uh, forward Madison played Orlando City B. This The way that Orlando City B is playing, this could only have ever ended one way. And forward Madison wins a tight one nil victory, but not as tight as you might think. They had 17 shots, five of them on target compared to six shots with one on target for OCB. Uh, they were, you know, OCB basically was defending for their lives and not, you know, in one time the things 
got through. So forward, they, they, they basically spread the field. So one of the things that I think they were trying to do was staying very wide, stretching the field, not allowing OCB to get into any kind of real defensive shape to be able to kind of counter press, get the ball and then, and then break like they sometimes do. Um, you know, the, the other thing for OCB that I would notice besides their kind of, I don't want to say lack of defending because they only let in one goal, but uh, Luke Granitor's back. Um, I haven't don't recall seeing him in the the last half a dozen matches, so maybe he's getting another look by the new uh, the new gaffer there. Yep, and Tablante got some time too. So, but again, don't get too comfortable because this is what Orlando does. And then next week we'll have two brand new strikers who will play, and Tablante and Granitor won't even play. So. Well, hopefully they do. I, I mean, I think some of these guys just need chemistry and playing time, right? Like we've talked about that with this team for a while. Like they're not a bad team. They just don't have cohesion, right? right. So the individual pieces are okay. So, you know, maybe the maybe the coaching change will ultimately be good and they can wind up being spoilers down the stretch here. Yep. Um, 26 minute though, the, the, the scoring starts. Um, you had uh, – uh, Oliver White uh, draws a, excuse me, it wasn't scoring, right? Oliver White drew a foul uh, f- for a PK. He was just, he, you know, a leg was just stuck out and, you know, Oliver White's smart enough to trip over it. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, Don't mind so, if I do. Yeah. So then uh, Don Smart then, you know, go, goes up, takes the penalty and he misses it wide. Um, you know, uh, this was uh, Herrera was trying to play head games with him, the goalkeeper for OCB. He was, you know, I don't know, saying stuff and moving his arms around. Um, it doesn't matter, though. I mean, Don Smart needed to get this on frame, right? Mm-hmm. And in uh, Orlando did that a lot of the games. This was an eight yellow card game, I think. Uh, yeah, at least. And so, yeah, you can't you can't let that get to you. Um, and Don Smart outside of that played so well. I think he had like five chances created he was the person who was pretty much the pivot of their offense, especially in that second half. Um, and yeah, I think it was just a game of frustration for Madison. And you can tell like shot after shot, it would hit a crossbar, it'd be, it'd be saved, it'd be right off frame. And you can just hear it in the crowd. And it became they, yeah, 30, 30 second minute. They had a goal called back because yep. JC Banks pushed Herrera and he did. Yep. I mean, that, yeah, that, was a, that was a fine call. He did. Yeah. Right. And, but you just, you can tell it was getting a little angsty and you know, these are points that four need, especially at home against the worst team in the league. And so uh, it's a big win for Ford that they, they finally had that breakthrough um, in, you know, we you know it's good that put it this way. It's good that they scored um, because this is a type of game to where if you don't score and you draw zero, zero to Orlando at home, uh, yeah. it, it, it holds weight. It take it, you know, if you miss the playoffs by a point, you look back at this game and you just say, we had all these shots on target. We had a PK. We really couldn't just finish this game off. We really couldn't just win this game. So, uh, it was a relief when, when they did put the ball in the back of the net, just because from the, from the crowd, the players, I think everybody, cause it yeah. was just overall a game of frustration. For so that happened time. in the 57th minute, the crowd was raucous. They all had a, a bunch of alcohol in them, I think by, by <laughs> the time, you know, that last call was, was, was upon them probably as well. Uh, so there was a big switch of play. So a Diaz ends up getting the ball on the left-hand side where he cuts inside and, finds Don Smart, who 
just kind of tapped it across the uh, the 18 to Nunez, who uh, who one times it through the bank. So it, it was like it was basically almost like tiki taka yeah. there for a minute from uh, fr from forward, and uh, so so Banks just split two defenders and rounds Herrera. He's one on one with the goalkeeper and just slots at home. I think he had. I think he has something to say uh, afterwards to the keeper. I have to go back and look at it. It's not the first time. Not the first time he's done that this season. Well, so. it's my my guess is is that it might have been something because I'm pretty sure Herrera said something to Don Smart yeah. when he was getting ready for his PK. So it might have been a little bit of retaliation for that. So, but yeah. no no yellow for unsporting behavior, which. It's always a possibility. Six, I mean, there was, you know, there was eight of them. So surprise, uh, JC didn't get one, but yeah. Yeah, it could have been. So, uh, so, so you want to shout out anyone from this game? I mean, other than the, uh, so I have someone I want to shout out. I want to shout out Eric Leonard because OCB, even though they kind of, you know, had this makeshift lineup or lineup anyway that we haven't seen for at least a month or so. Uh, he he basically kept the back line from needing to do a lot, and uh, you know I think that that's like your classic defensive midfielder kind of kind of thing. And um, you know he was the unsung hero I think for forward Madison because the reason for lack of quality chances from OCB was not necessarily because the back line did a great job. It's because Eric Leonard was everywhere, just uh, you know tackling and and winning the ball back in in good places. Yep, and we talked about how earlier this season how important he is just because. They move everybody up, even especially Nunez. He's productive when he's upfield. J.C. Banks, uh, Paulo Jr., uh, even when Pato comes up from the left side, you know, they rely on him to stop those counterattacks. And when you're playing a fast team like Orlando City B, it's important for him to do it, and he did it well. So, yeah, that's a great shout-out. Got to give the six some credit. You know, they, uh, they hold it down. I do love myself a good number six. <laughs> um, so... Uh, anything else on this particular match? No, like I said, I, I think it's just it's, it was a good win we'll for Madison, about, we'll, and we'll talk more about forward in just a minute. Anyway, yeah, it was just a good win for Madison, just because that they don't get that breakthrough, and they finish that game off with twenty shots on goal, and none of them went in. Uh, you start having a disgruntled fan base, and you know, who knows what happens in today's game and the games coming up. All right, so then for the 8 o'clock kickoff uh, on Saturday, we had another team at the top of the table dropping points at home. South Georgia Tormenta 1, Lansing Ignite 1. Kind of a good game for Lansing in a way, right? So they came out practicing. I, you know, I disagree. You disagree, really? Yes, I Lansing mean, keeps dropping points. I mean, yes, like you go on the road and you get uh, a, a point, but Lansing got a PK in the literal dying second. It was literally the, probably the last three seconds of the game. And we'll yeah, get it, to it, that. Was, it was almost the last kick of the but game. But Lansing, and we'll we'll talk about Lansing's game today, which they they finally, you know, they seem like they got that curse off of them. But Lansing's given up ten goals in the last twenty minutes this season, and they 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 keep getting the lead and letting it go. So this was their game to lose. They had complete control of this game, and I think. Um, they were playing their style. They were getting Tormenta, you know, pretty agitated. Uh, Lansing dominated that first 20 minutes. And yeah, I disagree. I think that obviously a point on the road is great, but these, these are drop points. Lansing should have had in the last two weeks, you know, outside of today's game, they should have had four more points than they did. Well, that's fair. I mean, especially since South Georgia, you know, they got their goal late in the 88th minute, but, but I think that they, you know, quite frankly, um, 
you know, there were a couple of other good chances that South Georgia just didn't take too, right? So, yeah, I, I think South Georgia did what they had hoped to do, right? They played their game. Um, it's just that, you know, Rafa Mensingen and Nick Moon combined in the 12th minute. And, but, and you know, Lansing, you're not going to keep South Georgia down for that long. And so I agree. Yeah. I mean, Lansing needed to be a little bit more and clinical. Then, and then how many, how, how many times did Lansing hit the crossbar? Uh, at least twice. I, I had to been like four times this game. That's that's all they did. And so, yeah, I just, as a Lansing fan, especially going in, knowing that you're three games ahead of everyone else, you are played more than everyone else, those, those points are valuable. And like I said, when we look at the end of the season, if Lansing doesn't make playoffs by a point or two, you're going to look at these two games and just go, yeah, why did we allow teams to score so late on us when we were controlling the game? Well, instead of going through uh, these goals in detail, um, yeah, you know, I'm just going to say that that the other notable thing about this uh, South Georgia's goal was it's their new signing, Shinda Kadono, who mm-hmm. um, who scored from a uh, from Alex Morrell. It was a it was basically a um, it was basically a counter tackle, which is not not unusual. But for Tormenta, no. Uh, <laughs> thought you were being serious here for a second but, you know, i have a problem with uh identifying sarcasm so That's yeah okay. <laughs> have to be careful with that um but let's talk about this pk so um so so n4 goes down in the box mm-hmm. n4 steps up to take the penalty kick that's what we were talking about who gets to take it should it be yeah because pato i'm listen i'm putting all my money on pato and I, I just yeah. think the best the, – if you have a proven penalty kicker, he should take it. Like props for N4. I think he played extremely well all game. Might have been their best player for that game. You know, And even the 35th minute mark, he had this amazing footwork where he crosses up two or three defenders and then hits it off the bar. So he gets unlucky there. So I get – like I drew the foul. I've been busting my ass all game. I want to take this. But then look what happens. But also shout out to – Fairness was a nice – Save. I was going to say, shout out to Alohara, second week in a row. I said last week I thought he got a fingertip on Pepe's. You said no, so this week he said, okay, I'm going to make sure it's obvious I got a fingertip on yeah. this one. So to describe the uh, the save, so so the, like, you, like you said, N4's shot is not great. It's the left-hand side. Uh, so two things. One was that Hara made the right decision to dive that way, but it was his hand, right hand that was stuck up over his head that got the hand to it and was strong enough to, to push it over the bar. So it was really, you know, it was a, it was a very nice save in a way, lucky save too. Cause you know, clearly had he dove the other way, uh, you know, that's a goal, but um, at least it was on frame, right? It wasn't like JC bank, uh, excuse me, Don Smart's attempt uh, in the, in the previous game. (laughs) I just, it's, it's, yeah, it's tough for me. And everyone's different, but if I'm a fan of Lansing, that's just a tough game for me because you had four, five chances go off the woodwork. You played better, um, and then you're giving, you're just given a gift at the very end to reward you for all that work. And then, yeah, it's just uh, a, not a horrible PK take, but yeah, it's just a great save from Hara. I think Hara for the past two weeks have been has been very good, uh, definitely keeper of the week. Um, caliber and tormenta props to them in the second half though they were more aggressive i think in the first half that press got to them lansing um was just all over them and then they slowed the game down a little bit um i didn't like the car sub 
I got it because Lansing's trying to hold on to the lead. Uh, but I don't, and he's like, if you go back and you watch, you know, Tormenta's uh, goal, it's he's kind of the reason it happens because yeah. he gets pressured, he gives the ball away, just passed it to nobody because he'd rather put it back in play instead of letting the ball go out. I didn't understand that. Um, but I think that when I think that's something that Lansing has to work on is closing out games. I didn't like that sub. And- the other, the other thing that I, that you'll you'll know too is that Saintville came out at halftime and uh, Jad Arslan um, came <laughs> in, and and this was obviously the the reverse uh, League One fun um, because both Connor Antley and Jad Arslan have been <laughs> interviewed on this program before. Uh, but Arslan came in and he's he's a right back, and Connor Antley got moved to the left because you know to fill where Saintville was, right and. Connor did not look that good over there, quite yeah. frankly. You know, like Connor's a great player, but I think he he you know didn't have the chemistry with the guys. He just was not. Um, he didn't yeah. look as comfortable there. I, I, was say, the- I don't think he looked bad. I just don't think he looked as cohesive as he does because he knows his side. He knows the players. So yeah, yeah. It, it was harder for him to move forward. And uh, you know, he it- naturally crosses with his right foot, right? So it's just like in the attack, he he didn't look as as good either, right? Just because he's not as left footed as he is right footed. And you know right. nothing against him. It just that it was it was an important attacking piece for uh, for Greenville that just you know didn't exist. Tormenta, but yeah. Um, one one stat I will say though uh, before we move on: eighteen of their twenty two goals this season in the second half were Tormenta. So know your lead is never safe against Tormenta. <laughs> That's right. All right, and moving on to tonight's games, um, I did not have a chance to see either of these, uh, but I did watch the highlights. Uh, so, Forward Madison goes up to BMO for a 4 p.m. Wednesday kickoff with no one in the stands. I think on Fridays they get a couple of hundred people. On Wednesdays, not so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, I counted, I think, 24 people in the stands uh, that the camera looked at, and oh, maybe. Don't, don't, please don't start this Twitter debate on how many people are in the stands. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) It's what it is. But regardless, Forward Madison drops four on TFC2, which was only able to score a single goal. You had goals from Paolo Jr., assisted by Don Smart. Uh, Paolo Jr., again, assisted by Oliver White. And, uh, you know, what is this, Oliver's third game? He's, you know, made an impact in every game he's played in. Uh, then there was an own goal f- uh, on for forward from uh, from Romeo, a Jordan Perusa goal by TFC in the 68th minute from Liam Frazier. We I'd like to talk about that goal because you know I think this just shows what Perusa is very good at. Uh, in the 81st, Dorsey gets his second yellow and gets sent off. So now TFC plays the last nine minutes down a man, and uh, and Brian Beamant gets a goal in the 86th minute from Lewis Bennett. Uh, you know, your impressions of this game, Jason. All right. Time for a little bit of spicy soccer ta- talk. Um, I don't know what the hell Toronto is doing. Uh, so they don't start Tariq Muhammad. They don't start Bunk Anderson. They're two best defenders outside Dante Campbell. Instead, they start um, the pretty much the Toronto MLS side bench players, right? And with Morgan. Um, and when you watch that first goal, Paulo Jr. like Morgan, Ashton Morgan is supposed to be fast, and Paulo Jr. just scorches him. He just beats him one on one off the ball, and that's why he's wide open. And then in the second half, 
Muhammad and Buck Anderson sub in, and you immediately see a change in this team, right? Toronto didn't could not possess the ball in the first half to save their life. Madison was just on their necks. They had three successful dribbles in the whole first half. And then when Muhammad and Bunk Anderson sub in, they have three in the first eight minutes. So it's just one of those things to where, you know, and then we also, we want to talk about Perusa and his goal, right? So AO starts instead of Perusa. I don't understand why Perusa's net, Perusa should always be starting. Simple as that. So AO starts instead and AO had zero goals, three bad giveaways, no real key chances created or key passes. Perusa comes on, subs in, and the first minute that he is on the field scores a goal because he what he does well, and we've talked about in the past, he times his run in between the defenders perfectly. He comes back you know, to make sure he's onside and then sprints forward, times the run, and then finishes it. It's something that Ayo cannot do within the whole first half of this game and the last game he played when he pretty much played the whole game. And I don't understand what Toronto is doing. I understand it's MLS all-star. So if the bench players need to play, but I don't understand why they need to play Like when it is MLS all-star, it's not like it's a double game. Like, I don't, I just don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why they would bring those players down if they're not going to be effective to the point to where it's going to help TFC to get into a playoff position. And this- it's Perusa goal I'd like to talk about a little bit because it shows you what TFC is so good at generally when they have these impact players on the field. So they possessed in the midfield. There were four passes, basically everyone playing the way they were facing. They ping the ball basically from, from the right-hand side to the midfield to the center spot back to the midfield, back to the, the center spot where Liam Frazier, right? So a flying midfielder just basically hits a driven ball on the ground to Perusa, who's making a diagonal run between the center backs. And he, you know, he gets the ball and he finishes because he's one-on-one with the keeper. Um, but I agree with you. I, I don't know, like, even though you're trying to develop players, if you're a team like TFC2, you're on the cusp of the playoffs, you have a chance, you know you have a team that's good enough to compete with anyone in the league, you should probably be trying to do it. Get those extra two you know, games at the end of the season or, or go for them, right? Because you're, you're going to develop players as well with a, teaching them how to win. Right. So that's something else that that's important in all of this. Like you don't have to win every game, but clearly if you have the players with the ability to win, get them out there, get them, get them bloodied. Right. Yes. You want to get players bloodied, but you know, when, when the playoff race is as tight as this, you can't let these points drop. Yeah. You shouldn't be playing Zavaleta. Simple as that. I don't know why you're playing Zavaleta right now in a race to where one game can make the difference between playoffs. One game can make the difference between a 16, 17 year old that's coming up from your academy, getting that experience of playing in a playoff game on the road. And yeah, instead you want to play Zavaleta. Cool. Nice job. Anything else about this game, Jason? Yeah. uh, Manly. I don't know what Ford needs to do to hold on to him. I don't know if they can make a gentleman's agreement with Minnesota. They need to do everything they can to hold on to him because he is a difference maker. Those three, the first three goals um, for Ford all came from that right side. I think that Ford may have the best right side in the league when Manley's playing because he can keep because of his skill of going forward and his passing ability and his, his way of getting back to defend it's just too much. It allows 
Paulo Jr. and Don Smart to intersect with one another, and you see it constantly to where Manley is either passing a ball up to Don Smart, who's already in full sprint, or Manley's up there himself, and he's playing give and goes with Paulo Jr., as you saw in that second goal, I believe, or the the goal that he scored, I think um, it was a give and go with Paulo Jr. And so it's one of those things, you know, two chances created, three tackles today, but it's his 82% passing accuracy and his six out of eight duels won that really like shows how much of a game changer he is. He just spreads that side so much to where defenders don't know what to do. Paulo Jr. can go into the middle and then you have shots to where you'll see Manley get the ball on the side. He draws that attention. He just passes at the top of the box and you have Paulo Jr. or Nunez or whoever they're waiting to smash it in. So I don't know what Ford needs to do, but they need to hold on to him. And then also I want to shout out the Omsberg because he was a beast. Uh, five clearances, four interceptions. Omi lost one of his seven duels, even created a chance. Uh, he he did the damn thing today. I uh, I hit up on Twitter one of the things that let me be forward the uh, RIP podcast for forward Madison. They said, you know, who would you want on your, your three V three team? So I said, uh, I believe I said Paolo jr, Eric Leonard and, uh, and Olmsberg. And they laughed at me when I said Olmsberg and look what he did today. Yeah. He was the best defender on the field outside of manly because I don't even want to consider manly a defender just right. because of what he brought so yeah, much offensively. It's like one Connor Antley a defender sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, and the, the other game that was tonight that we, I don't think we'll review because I don't think either of us watched it, but, trust me, I don't have a life or the best. No, I, I know I, I watched on the train, so I didn't get to watch too, too much of it, but I will it's say sucking up everyone's data. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> Lansing okay. ignite beat Chattanooga Red Wolves. Uh, 2-0 at, uh, up in uh, uh, up in Michigan. Uh, the goals came from Mo Shabane in the 32nd minute and from Pato, of course, in the 84th minute. Uh, assists by Rafa and uh, Elma Nafour. Um you know, let's uh, let's talk about it, Jason. You know, what what did you see in this match? Lansing from the get go. I, I tweeted about that Lansing needed these three points and Lansing played like they needed these three points. I think they're very aware of their situation and where they're at the table and how many games more they've played. And from the very beginning, they had two really good chances at goal in the first three minutes. And I think Toomey and Rafa just caused all kind of havoc down that right side. And Chattanooga just didn't have the speed or an answer. I don't think they allowed Chattanooga to really get into a groove for most of the game. Um, and you can tell that Chattanooga too also knew how important this game was and needed that offensive spark. And they subbed in Zaid in the 37th minute. Um, and I don't think they would have done that had they not, you know, been kind of pressured to really start getting an offensive attack going on. Um, but yeah, Rafa was just active all first half. And then he finally got his due justice. He springs down the right side and crosses it to Toomey, who's at the top of the box, and then just hits a, an amazing goal. Toomey, probably one of their best strikers, uh, you know, if not their best striker, him and Rafa can just let it rip. Um, and so, yeah. And then Chattanooga got lucky in this game. Andrew Mullen got an early yellow. And then, uh, Malin takes down Rafa on a counter just because, like I said, the speed just killed Chattanooga. And I think the ref didn't want to give him the second yellow off of a takedown from a counterattack just because, you know, no one wants to give a red for a foul unless it was super deserved. Uh, and then the same thing happened to Pineda 
in the second half, Pineda gets an early yellow. In the second half, again, he I think it was Rafa again. I think Pineda takes down because he just can't keep up. And that could have been a second yellow too. I just don't think Chattanooga was equipped to deal with Lansing's aggressiveness and their speed today. And uh, there was a part of me, we got into that 70th minute mark and Lansing has given up uh, nine, I'm sorry, Lansing has given up 10 goals in the last 20 minutes and Chattanooga has scored nine goals in the last 20 minutes. Oh. So I thought, uh-oh, here we go. Cause Chattanooga starts getting possession. They start crawl like Zaguro and uh, Pineda start crossing the ball in to Zaid. And I'm like, uh-oh, this might work happen. And there's a long cross to Beatty and Beatty looks like he is going to try to cut in and take a shot. And I don't know who it is for Lansing, but they tackle and steal the ball and that launches a counterattack, and you've got N4 and Pato on a 2v2, but N4 has so much space in the middle of the field. He just takes it, and then Pato with a great through ball and a clinical finish from Pato showing that he's easily their best striker in front of goal, and I think all the Lansing fans there was just uh, like their stomachs just finally, okay, I don't have to take Tums. I, I'm good. I don't, I don't have to worry about these stomach pains anymore. I think Lansing really needed that because if Chattanooga would have scored and tied that up, that could have been a difference between Lansing getting a last playoff spot. Well, once Weston Shelton is, uh, you know, Finn takes his vitamin B and drinks his water. <laughs> Over after tonight's game, uh, you know, I'll be looking forward to listening to Capital Combustion and those guys talk about this match. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, I don't think we'll do previews tonight, Jason, just because we are running long and uh, I've been on TV since six o'clock in the morning, so I'm a little bit tired. Okay. Um, so, but we're going to just Chattanooga Red Wolves uh, host North Texas on Saturday at 7 p.m., Greenville hosts South Georgia also at 7 p.m. Lansing hosts OCB at 7 p.m. So, and then forward uh, plays Tucson at 8 p.m. Uh, these are all East Coast time, by the way, if you're out some not in the East Coast. Which one of these matches will you watch live? I mean, you know, you could watch two, I guess, if you have, you know, a couple of browsers open. But, yeah, know, what's <laughs> uh, um, I want to see Ford and Tucson. Um, I think that's a huge game just because I think that's what's going to come down to those la- that last spot, that four spots going to be between them. And they're the ones who share home streaks. So just to give you an idea on why uh, the home field matters, five of, six, five of the next six games for Madison is at home. When you look at Tucson's schedule, they have seven of their last nine games of the season at home. So when Ford, for these next five of their six home games, they need to get as many points as possible. Uh, Another team I would really look at is Greenville, uh, and that's because Greenville has to play the top two teams twice in the next four weeks. So they have to play North Texas, then Tormenta, then North Texas again, and then Tormenta. Um, I'm going to be watching that uh, Greenville-Tormenta match because I think Greenville – I agree with you. They basically have to win their home matches against those teams in order to have any yep. real shot at the playoffs. So, I mean, I, I mean, they I, probably lose away, but they they need to they need to safe serve at home. Yeah, and then Chattanooga North Texas is important because Chattanooga they can't start sliding when they know that Ford is going Ford or Tucson is picking up points, if not both, this weekend. So, you know, and they're right there. And so, all these games this week, it's this is if you have. 
to make an excuse to not go on a date with your girlfriend, this is the week to use it. This, these are all games I think that are watchable and are important. Um, even when you look at Lansing and Orlando City B, still important because Lansing has to have points from those games. Or just find a girlfriend who uh, likes to eat pizza and watch soccer games. All right. right. Well, you know, some of us can't even find a regular girlfriend. Now you're getting <laughs> specifics. Let's all let's calm down. All right. So, so in points per game, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go through all the permutations, but basically uh, after tonight's games, you, you effectively still have a tie basically third through eighth. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, one, uh, you, a team drops points and another team gets, gets even a draw and, uh, the, the table will change quite a lot. Yeah. Um, team of the week, you had, uh, Tyler Polak player of the week, not too surprising. I would put three other guys on, on this list that, uh, league one put out, uh, as, as the bench players, one would be Joe Rice. Cause even though he, you know, maybe Akira Fitzgerald would still be the number one. I think he played really, really well this week overall, you know, he had you know one or two questionable things but you know he came up big when he needed to and saved them two points i'd also put scotty thompson in this list another richmond player too. you know he, he he probably i mean he maybe should have made team of the week quite frankly the way that he played plus he should have scored a goal and anytime a defender scores a goal they seem to give that player team of the week maybe that's why they conspiracy theory here maybe that's why they didn't give him the goal even though it was on target they didn't want mm. to put him on and then uh, someone I talked about earlier, Eric Leonard. I mean, I think he had a fantastic game. Certainly, you know that that first game in particular. Um, you know, he really kept uh, he really kept the uh, the OCB attack at bay. And and so so those are my three. Do you, do you have a couple of guys who you think would uh, be good good coming off the bench for this team of the week? Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, even though Greenville has a lot, I think uh, Amundo Robinson came in and played extremely well, and I think it's. Something that's interesting because Bermudez didn't play. Um, and I wonder if it's because they were up um, three, you know, three goals and they said, oh, we'll save your legs for Tormenta. Um, and then also probably because he missed the PK, that's why he wasn't on people's mind. But I thought Don Smart played a really good game. And I think, like I said, he was the pivot of that offense and proves that him and Paulo Jr. every week, it, you know, week in and week out are the reason that Ford's attack is kind of gelling the way it is. Great. Uh, so I know you have a question or two, and, and I uh, I got a question from someone. So do you yes. want to start? So you have a you have to choose which front three do you think is more dangerous? And it's Don Smart, Paulo Jr., and J.C. Banks, or Rafa, Toomey, and Nick Moon? Ooh, so basically Lansing or Madison. Uh Oh, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I think just based on – I think I'm going to go with Lansing's front line. And not that I dislike it, but because I think that both of those lines right now are in form and, you know, really clicking and, and gelling quite well. Like, you know, we, we almost never note a goal from one of those teams without, you know, two of those two of those yeah. three – involved right um but i think i'm going to go with lansing primarily because i I think they just have the ability to to score a little bit more and are a little bit more physical and i I would give it there whereas you know jc banks you know is is you know that he's good and i i love the way paulo jr cuts in from the from the outside but i i just i think lansing just incrementally just tiny tiny bit more okay 
How about you? Do you have a preference there? Uh, that that question was directed to you, sir. I'm not, you know, I can't choose. I can't choose between my children. I don't. Uh-uh. We're all equal in this household. I okay. will say, I think, I think Ford has more cohesiveness. I think that they have better chemistry, but I do think Lansing have better finishers and more talent on that. I think that that speed and the footwork between, and if you even switch out Moon for N4, right, it's the same yeah. result. Um, and I think it's just an easier system to where, you know, talent is just there. You can't deny it. Yeah. I, I, I guess I, I'm so used to watching pressing teams that I, I just don't think, you know, Madison doesn't press the same way that Lance. No, does. they don't. But Madison is the best team in transition, I think in this league. And I think yeah. once the, once they spread the field, it's almost like you're looking like, okay, this is either going to be a goal or on goal. It's interesting. Cause you know, a month ago, you wouldn't have said that you would have said Tormenta. Yep. Right. Yeah. Like for sure. I mean, I'm based on form. I, I, I think that's right. Uh, so here's a question that I'm going to pose to you. So based on what you've seen so far, what do you think would be the most exciting playoff pairings? So you have to pick pairings. Ooh. Okay. Um, all right. Put me on spot. So I'll do the, I'll figure out who North Texas is playing later, but I do think a Lansing Ford, uh, would be exciting just because I think Lansing comes out and presses and then Ford's response of having that open field and stretch field, that can easily be a 3-3, three, 3-4 three, three, game. Um, and I think to, no matter which atmosphere, if it's Lansing at home or if it's Ford at home, it would be a great showing, um, you know, really kind of kick off that rivalry. Um, I think that it's slowly getting there. That last game, you see there's a lot of jawing and back and forth. Well, Lansing's a rival with everyone because they just want to fight. And even then we didn't talk about it, even the Tormenta game, they're trying to fight. I don't, I keep telling y'all, I told y'all last week to calm down. You're doing the opposite. And so I don't know if Carr got mad because he gave away the ball, but he's definitely tried to fight somebody in Tormenta. And then coach John Milarisi, he gets all worked up and he gets kicked out. Listen, everybody in league one, sip some chamomile tea and calm your ass down. Just chill out. Why are y'all so worked up? Um, but so I will yeah. say, I think, I think a Please. fun matchup against North, for, for North Texas would be Tucson. And the reason why Ooh. I'm saying that is because North Texas, like you said, they like to go up. And I think Tucson has that speed to where they can catch them off guard and they can put some counterattacks on them. And then I would love to see how North Texas kind of adjusts to that, right? If North Texas it goes up puts 10 shots on frame, none of them go in, and all of a sudden Tucson counters and scores, then I think we have a really open and exciting game. On, on the night, uh, on any any night, I think that the uh, the Tucson's defense could uh, could hold back anybody in the league, including North Texas, but when they're bad, they're really yeah. bad. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I am taking a gamble on that game for sure. Either you're going to be like 1-1 or it's going to be like 6-2. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so fair enough. So did you have one more question you told me? Uh, I did, but we we're short for time and it's a long one. So, okay, fair enough. Well, maybe we could save it for next week when yeah, I will it's have definitely a next week question and I will have a special guest with me and yeah. I'll, I'll give you a hint. If you are used to watching ESPN plus and Greenville, you, it will be a familiar voice to you. Is it the car? Does the car talk? <laughs> this is like Knight Rider. Yo, you got a talking car? This is a podcast first. I don't think anyone's ever had a talking car. Look at League One Fun breaking ground. Unbelievable. 
<laughs> All right. Jason, where can people connect with you? You can connect with me at Home Sweet Soccer. And if you live in Europe, I know we have the uh, English Flamingo over there. Uh, hit me up. I'll be out there French on tour. France as well? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, I'm not going to France, though. I, I'm, I'm not cool enough for France, apparently. Just Montreal uh, tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so if you live out there and you want to go see a local game and talk some League One, hit me up. Excellent. And I can be found at Ira Jersey on Twitter. And you can connect with the show at League One Fun. That's League, the number one fun. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And check out bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, Major League Soccer, and more. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. We hope that you'll enjoy this week's matches. Until next time, Jason, have a great trip over the pond. You're going to need some giant headphones to put on that car. I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> Very good. You know, the other thing that, you know, what we should do with, with, with Golden Gold Press is we should make the possession is a trash stat shirts. You know, it's, apparently there is demand for them. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it. Can, can we quote you? Can we put Jason says? I'll, I'll have my people reach out to your people. I'm definitely going to have to drop some paperwork, you know. Right. Make, maybe, make maybe, sure. on, maybe on the back we could have hashtag spicy takes. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm.